Praise the Lord. This is Andrew Womack, and on this tape, I begin to teach on how to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Before I actually teach on any of this, I need to say that this is not a complete teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are not going to be identifying the nine gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and teaching about what each one is and how you recognize them, how they operate, how that these flow together, complementary gifts. We aren't going to be dealing with that. I'm not going to be talking about other gifts of the Spirit that are listed in Romans chapter 12. So this is not a complete expose on the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, It is basically just a teaching about how you flow in these gifts. So this is going to take some uh, already... uh, understanding revelation on your part about that the gifts do exist and what they are and uh, there is just so much information on this that this little tape set cannot produce all of that you need to supplement this by your own study or other materials on this but the purpose of this tape set is to talk about once you know that the gifts of the spirit exist today And once you realize that they are for you and you've identified your gifts, how do you get to flowing in those gifts? And also, the very first teaching, this, the rest of this tape that I'll be making here today is talking about how important it is to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that that's a part of it. You are not going to be effective operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit if you see them as optional. And something that would be nice if they came, but... You aren't committed to them. This is outside of normal. These are supernatural gifts. And for you to flow in the gifts, you have to be absolutely convinced and sold on the fact that you need the supernatural power of God to flow through you and confirm the word and to minister through you. As long as you think that they're just optional or you would like them if they came, but you aren't convinced that God wants you to have these gifts, that it's necessary to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be truly effective for the Lord. If you aren't committed to that, then you will not flow in the gifts very well. So that's what this first tape is about. The second tape, I'll be talking about how that God is always administering the gifts through us. It doesn't come and go as is commonly thought. Now, that may not sound like a great truth, but on our second tape, we'll deal with that. In the third tape, we'll be talking about how you can recognize when the anointing and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are flowing through you and how you can step out in faith and follow that. And you will see the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest and function to a much, much greater degree once you understand this. Now, on this first tape, as I said, my first point that I want to make is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not optional. And this really is not a commonly held belief among Christians. Of course, the body of Christ today is separated into different groups. And I'm sure that there are many separations, but to a large degree, there are the Spirit-filled people And, of course, there's people who consider themselves to be spirit-filled. But when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about people who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, and they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit being for us today. And then there's another large segment, probably the majority of the body of Christ, that believes that um, 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit passed away with the apostles, that they aren't for us today, and they don't believe that you operate in the gifts. And so those are two major divisions. And I just want to say that I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not optional. Now, I don't believe that you have to flow in them to be saved, to love God, and even to be used of God. But I say that to do what God really wants us to, they are not optional. And there's just so much on this that I'm not going to be able to teach like on how that the gifts are still for us today. I won't be able to give a complete explanation of that. But let me just mention a couple of things that the disciples were followers of the Lord, spent three and a half years with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And after Jesus was resurrected, he told them to tarry and wait until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is recorded in Acts chapter 1. The power of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. And they were commanded not to go out and minister or tell anybody about the resurrection until they received power. And this power, according to Acts 1.8, was to make them a witness. And so by virtue of what Jesus said, he said that they would not be an effective witness until they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When that happened, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with other tongues. Now, speaking in tongues is the gift of the Holy Spirit that gets a lot of preeminence among Charismatics or Pentecostals today, but it's by no means the greatest gift or the only gift. I'm not minimizing the gift of speaking in tongues, but I'm saying that there's just a lot of things that happen when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. But the Bible does teach that when a person received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there was visible evidence of it. People could see and hear that they had the Holy Spirit. And in most cases in the book of Acts, it's clearly stated that they spoke with tongues. In other cases, there was something visible and audible that they heard. And to be consistent with all of the other accounts, it would just be logical to say that that was also the gift of speaking in tongues. So when people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, they had supernatural manifestation. Now, this goes contrary to the evangelical position, the fundamentalist position today. And uh, I would agree that you can be saved without the Holy Spirit uh, filling you and having this baptism of the Holy Spirit. A second work of grace is what D.L. Moody and uh, many, Charles Haddon Spurgeon and a lot of people who were leaders in the past, uh, they taught that there was this second work of grace, a second experience where you not only got your sins forgiven, but where you were endued with power. So there is foundation for this among church history and, of course, in the Word of God. And uh, I would agree that you don't have to have that, but why wouldn't you want it? And without going into a long explanation on this, I think one of the reasons that people do not believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the accompanying gifts of the Holy Spirit are for us today is because it's a convenient theology. I mean, if you relegate all of these miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit to happening only in the first century church and that they aren't for us today, And if you say that they don't apply to us today, well, then you know what? It's a safe way 
to preach and to believe because you don't ever have to perform. You don't ever have to see any demonstration. You can just say what you want to, say that this is God talking, but there's no way to prove anything. That is not the way that the Bible did it. Let me just give you some scriptures about where Jesus talked about his own personal ministry. In John chapter 5 and verse 36, this is where Jesus was being criticized by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were saying, who are you and what makes you, uh, you know, somebody that we're supposed to listen to? Why should we believe you? And so Jesus told about in verse 32 through 35 about how John the Baptist was one that bore witness of him And, of course, John the Baptist was revered by most people except the religious leaders of his day. And so Jesus pointed to his witness about Jesus being the Son of God. But then in verse 36, this is John 5, 36, he says, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape, and you have not his word abiding in you, etc. And he goes on and talks about this. But he said that the works that he did, and the works that he's talking about here are not, you know, his job, his vocation. He was talking about the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. There was a number of times that he says, you know, many good works have I done. For which of these do you come against me. So the works that he was referring about here were referring to the miracles that he had performed. The blind eyes seen, the deaf hear, hearing and things like that. In John chapter 10 and verse 25, here's Jesus again saying, I told you and you believe me not. This is an answer to the scribes and the Pharisees saying, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And he said, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. And then in John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, listen to this. He says, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Boy, now that is a strong statement. Jesus is saying, if I don't have actions to back up what I'm saying, then don't believe me. He used this exact same reasoning in John chapter 2, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 2, where they let the man down through the uh, roof, and they, you know, they took the tiling off, and they let this paralytic man down through the roof. And it says in Mark chapter 2, that when he saw their faith, he said unto the man, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately the scribes, uh, got upset at this, and in verse, this is Mark 2, 7, they said, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? In other words, they questioned his theology. They said, This man can't say this. He can't forgive people's sins. Only God can do that. In verse 8, Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whither is it easier to say unto the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk? Now, what's the answer to these questions? What's easier to say? Well, now, both of these are impossible to do. It's impossible for a person 
to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And it's impossible for a person to say, well, let me rephrase this. It's impossible for a man to forgive sins, and it's impossible for us to heal people on our own. But as far as which is easier to say, did you know it's actually easier to say that a person's sins are forgiven because there is no manifestation of that. You can't prove if their sins are forgiven. You could say what you want to, but you can't prove it. You can't see sins, and you can't see what a sin that's forgiven looks like. There is no way to clinically test to where, see whether a person's sins are forgiven. So as far as what's easier, easier to say, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than it is to say be healed. Because if you say be healed, and if there is no physical manifestation of it, well then what you said didn't come to pass. And so as far as which is easier to say, well it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's harder to say that you're healed because then there has to be a visible evidence of it. And so basically what the Lord is saying here, that if I can do the thing that is the hardest to say, well then that would be proof then I can also do the thing that is easier to say. If you can do something great, well, then you can do something small. You know, if I can jump 20 feet, well, then I can guarantee you I can jump one foot. But if I couldn't even jump one foot, well, then I couldn't jump 20. The greater establishes the lesser. And that's basically what he's saying. So he said, which is easier to say under the sick of the palsy? Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. Well, the hardest to say is take up your bed and walk, because instantly... We'll be able to see whether what you said comes to pass or not. So therefore, in verse 10, he said, But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So what he did was heal this man, and he said, I'm doing these things. In other words, this miracle, this sign and wonder proves that if I can heal the body, I can also forgive the sins. He used physical miracles to verify, validate his message. Let me give you another scripture that will make this very clear in Hebrews chapter 2. And well, let me just start reading with verse 1. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Now, in this verse 3, notice it says that the Lord spoke and those who uh, heard him, talking about the apostles, the followers of Jesus, had the word that they spoke uh, confirmed unto them. And then in verse 4, it says, God also bearing them witness. The them here is not only talking about the followers, those that heard Jesus, but it's talking about Jesus and his followers. God bore witness to them both with signs and and wonders, and with divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. This says that God bore witness to Jesus, which Jesus had already said that over in 
John chapter 5 and John chapter 10, we read that. And now it says that he not only bore witness to Jesus, but to his followers with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about is these gifts of the Holy Spirit that produce signs and wonders and miracles. Now, if Jesus and the first century Christians had to have the message that they spoke confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit, May I say that it is the absolute height of arrogancy for anybody today to say that you are somehow greater than Jesus and greater than the apostles and you don't need any gifts of the Holy Spirit to confirm your word, that somehow your word is greater than that of Jesus. You know, if you think about it that way, that does not make sense. If Jesus said that he was doing these things, and if you don't believe anything I said, then believe because of the miracles that you see. And then you have this scripture saying that God confirmed the word that Jesus and the apostles spoke with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. If that's the way they operated, then I say that we have to have the same thing today. This is one reason that they made a greater impact on their generation than what the church has done today. Because again, a vast majority of the body of Christ today has chosen to believe that the gifts of the Spirit are not for us today. And then even many people who are Pentecostal or charismatic who believe that they are for today don't have a good understanding about how they operate. And so they, as far as practice goes, don't flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There aren't many miracles signs and wonders that confirm a lot of the preaching of the word. And that's one of the reasons that it hasn't made a greater impact. The first century church literally turned their known world right side up in 30 years. In 30 years, Christianity advanced so much that Alexandria, Alexandria, which was one of the greatest cities in northern uh, Africa, and it was a cultural center, second only to Rome and maybe Athens. But it was a cultural center of the world. And within 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, it was written that that church was nearly totally converted to Christianity. Christianity began to make huge inroads into the world. And the Roman Empire, which was mighty, the mightiest empire, probably the most far-reaching empire that the world has ever seen. It lasted for hundreds of years, but within 300 years, the Roman Empire was converted to Christianity, and Christianity just literally began to permeate the world. And you know how all of that happened? It was because the early disciples operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and just like Acts, I mean Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4 says, they were flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not optional. If you really want to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit, it needs to go beyond just something that would be nice and that if God would allow it, then, oh, it would be wonderful for you to have these gifts. But you need to recognize that the true preaching of God's Word is always confirmed by signs and wonders and miracles. Listen to this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 16. And in verse 17, it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. It didn't say they should follow. It says they will follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. 
They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Then in verse 19, it says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The true word of God is always confirmed with signs following. If you are preaching the true word of God, people's lives will be changed in a miraculous fashion. Now, I think that it's accurate to say that salvation and people being born again and delivered from depression and discouragement is seeing the word confirmed, but it is not limited to that. Jesus saw physical miracles, eyes open, deaf ears open, the lame walk, and miracles like this. The early New Testament disciples saw the exact same thing happen. Matter of fact, a passage that would go along with this is over in Acts chapter 4, and after Peter and John and some of the apostles had been beaten and commanded not to preach the gospel anymore, they went back to the assembly of believers, and they prayed a prayer in Acts chapter 4, and they said, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto us that we may speak your word with all boldness. And then they said, by stretching forth your hand to heal. They equated miracles, healings, deliverances with speaking the word. And right after they prayed that prayer about God give them boldness and grant that they could speak the word with boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal, the scripture says that the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing down there is about miracles happening. Peter's shadow touching people, and people were raised up, and many were added to the Lord. And so the early New Testament disciples equated preaching the gospel and flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing miracles happen as being one and the self-same thing. Matter of fact, Paul talked about this over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. He was writing the letter to the Corinthians of course, he's the one that introduced the Corinthians to the Lord, and they got born again through his ministry. But then after that, people began to come in and criticize his ministry and, and uh, teach different things. And so Paul was defending his apostleship and his leadership over these people. And in verse 1, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul here made it very clear that when he ministered the gospel, he didn't just preach words. He wasn't just teaching doctrine, but he was preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember hearing T.L. Osborne talk about his early days of ministry, and he actually went to, I believe it was India, as a missionary, and he was there for a period of time. I think it was six months or a year, something like that. And he was very discouraged because he was preaching the gospel, but he was not making an impact on people. 
And it kind of came to a head one day when he was witnessing to a man and he was telling him about God. And the man basically challenged and says, where do you get this? And he opened up the Bible and he says, right here, the Bible says. And this man says, I don't believe the Bible. And it kind of took T.L. Osborne back. And the man pulled out his little black book, the Koran. And he says, what makes your black book any better than my black book? And all of a sudden, T.L. Osborne just realized that these people didn't accept his message. There was no way of proving it. And he became discouraged by this. He actually left India, came back, and as he was seeking the Lord about what do I do, the Lord taught him exactly what I've been saying here, that the Word of God has to be confirmed with miracles, exactly the way that Jesus did it, exactly the way that the New Testament church did it, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are essential to confirm and to break through the unbelief of people. And T.L. Osborne began to seek God about that. He began to start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And since that time, he's gone back to India and, you know, uh, who knows, hundreds of other nations. He's preached to crowds of about a million people or more, I believe, has seen great things happen. And one of the reasons that he's been so successful and have turned so many of these people towards the Lord is because he now flows in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and sees miracles and things like that happen. His word was not just in word only, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that's what Paul was saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He, of course, continues on in 1 Corinthians defending his apostleship. He reasons with them about a lot of things. And finally, in chapter 4, he just boils it down to this in verse 19. He says, But I will come unto you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You know what he's basically saying? He had already reasoned with them. He had given them reasons why he was the apostle and why they should trust him. And he had referred to different things. Finally, when it just boiled down, when he summarized, he says, All right, when I come... We aren't going to just exchange words anymore. Talk is cheap. Put up or shut up. In other words, he's saying only those who have the demonstration, the power of God operating in their life will be permitted to say anything. You aren't going to be able to talk, but you demonstrate. If you've got more power, if you see the power of God manifest in your life better than the way it's manifest in my life, then you've got a right to say something and I'll talk to you. Man, that's pretty powerful. You know, I remember one time when I was first getting started in the ministry, and I really wasn't flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit at this time, but I was headed that direction. I was beginning to start uh, going out and witnessing to people at the time. That was about all of the uh, energy and the boldness of the Holy Spirit I had was to just talk to strangers and start witnessing to them. And I remember that we held a revival meeting in Farmington, New, or I'm not sure where it was. Um, Portales, New Mexico is where it was. And anyway, we were with a group of Baptist people. That's who I was with. And I spoke to the BSU, the Baptist Student Union, at the university campus there. And we were talking about being bold and sharing your faith. And anyway, people began to start taking offense at what we said. And they were saying, you don't have to witness to people. And they began to start criticizing, and they were saying they were more effective through just prayer. They didn't go out and actually preach the gospel. They didn't want to offend anyone, and on and on and on. And we tried to reason with them, and finally, I mean, it got violent. 
it looked like we were going to be tarred and and feathered and thrown out of there. And the friend that I was with, he just referred to basically the same thing that 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says. I'm going to know not the speech, but the power. And basically this guy said, all right, I tell you what, if you think that the way you're living the Christian life is more effective, if you think that you're reaching people better, that you're having a better impact than what we are, then he said any person who has witnessed to another person this week can still talk to us and ask a question or complain. But if you haven't witnessed to a single person, then sit down and shut up because we have. In other words... We have the power of God manifest in us to the point that we're at least sharing our faith with other people. If you don't have the power of God manifest that much, then there's no reason you criticizing us. Sit down and shut up. And you know, instantly, that whole crowd had to sit down and shut up. There wasn't a single person who had witnessed to a person that week. And so we just got our Bibles and walked right through the midst of them and got out of there. But basically, that's what the Apostle Paul said. You know, a person can say that they are anointed and that all of these things are happening, but talk is cheap. The true word of God is confirmed with signs and wonders following. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the way that God does that. And if there are no gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing in a person's life, in a minister's life, that doesn't mean that they aren't saved. It doesn't mean that they don't love God. It doesn't mean that they haven't got integrity or character, but it does mean that they are speaking the word only and not demonstrating it and that they are not near as effective as they should be. Some of you may think of somebody who is a denominational minister and you say, oh, but they are very effective and they've touched people's lives. As effective as they may have been, they could have been a thousand times more effective if they would have flowed in the power of the Holy Ghost and have operated in the gifts of the Spirit. That's what the Word of God teaches. There just didn't know any way around it. Jesus said that His works, the miracles that He did, confirmed and bore witness, and that if you won't believe just the Word, believe because you see these miracles. The Scripture says that not only was Jesus confirmed by the miracles that He did, but the disciples also had their Word confirmed. Paul talked about it, and he says that, man, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech, but in power and demonstration of the Spirit. He says, those of you who are just talking and don't have any power to back it up, you will not be permitted to say anything. In other words, he's saying, you got to have this power if you're going to stand and contend with me and say that you have anything to offer. If there is no power in your life, then you shouldn't be ministering. The true Word of God is always confirmed with signs and wonders following. And I tell you, if the church was flowing in these gifts of the Holy Spirit today, we would see a totally different result in our world. As a matter of fact, I've heard statistics before that uh, I believe now that Pentecostals are people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and do operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and believe in miracles and healings and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and things like this, that if they aren't already the majority of the body of Christ, they are quickly approaching it. Now, you can't always see that in the United States, but in uh, South America and in Africa especially, there has been tremendous revival. There are churches of over 200,000 people, and the majority of these are all Pentecostals. 
I know that in my experience across Europe, specifically in the UK where I deal and minister a lot, that the traditional church, the Anglican church, has continued to decrease in membership. And some people look at that as a decline in Christianity. But there has been a resurgence of Christianity, but it's all going into these Pentecostal groups. There's been a house church movement in the U.K., which has tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in it. And the Pentecostal spirit-filled realm has taken up all of the slack, and it has grown, and it is growing exponentially. My understanding is that in the United States, the spirit-filled community of the body of Christ is the only segment of the church today that is really growing. There may be a marginal growth or some that are holding their own, but many of the larger denominations that at one time were the stronghold of Christianity in the United States, the major denominations have actually shrunk in membership while the Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled community is where all of the growth is taking place. And so there is a resurgence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. And the progress that we are making in the body today is due primarily, I can't say totally, but I can say primarily to the Spirit-filled, charismatic community who believes in, preaches, and operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The church, the Christian church, has actually grown more in the last few decades than it has in the history of the world. And I'm not talking about in just numbers, because, of course, there's greater numbers of people alive on the earth today. But I'm talking about percentage-wise. The growth of the body of Christ in the last uh, 30 to 40 years has been the greatest increase percentage-wise as in proportion to the world population that there has ever been. Christianity is the fastest-growing segment of any religion on the face of the earth. Now, you might be able to take some obscure uh, religion, you know, that only has 100 people, and they double to 200, and that's doubling. But I'm talking about any group of any size, when you're small like that, adding one person. If you only have one person believing something, you could add two people, and you could triple the size. But I'm talking about any major group, Islam, uh, Buddhism, any of those kind of things. Christianity is outstripping them tremendously. Now you have I've heard some conflicting information on that and anyway it, it you know I don't know about all of these things it's beyond my ability to sit down and count it but there are many people who are claiming that at least and uh, my point is that it is the spirit-filled community that is causing this tremendous growth and it's because of these gifts of the Holy Spirit exactly like we're talking about here. So all of this is to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for us today. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not optional. And if you really want to be effective, if you want to see other people's lives touched, if you want to see revival, then what you need to do is to start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what this whole tape set is about. But before you can go on and do the other things, you've got to be sold on this one point that if your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. If you can look at your life and explain everything through just your intellect, through your ability, 
And if there aren't things in your life that are just absolutely beyond natural explanation, if it isn't the supernatural manifestation of God's power, if you're a minister and if all you see happening are things that you talk into existence, but if you can't pray and see a person delivered and set free, now I know that all of us are in varying stages of this and I'm not trying to condemn somebody who has not seen every single person healed or something uh, we're all in varying stages. I'm growing. I am not seeing the power of God manifest the way I should. But I can say this, that there are things that happen through my ministry when I preach the word and when I pray for people that cannot be explained away through me. It is not human. It's not natural. It is the supernatural power of God. We've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead, paralyzed people healed, people with bones frozen, uh, surgically put so that they can't move, instantly able to move, people with metal rods down their back to where they're stuck in a standing position, bend over and touch their toes. And I mean, I've just seen nearly every kind of miracle that you can see. Not as there's some people I've prayed for that I haven't seen the manifestation. I'm not saying that I've arrived, but I'm saying I've left. And I'm not meaning to imply here that any person who doesn't see everything perfectly should feel bad and condemned. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there should be some proof that what you are saying is being confirmed by the Holy Spirit. There needs to be some example. There needs to be some witness, some confirmation through the Holy Spirit that the word you're speaking is God. And again, I refer back to Mark 16, that if you are preaching the word of God, he will confirm his word with signs and wonders following. If we were to apply that test to every minister and say, well, it sounds good, it looks good, but is there any fruit? Do they have the word being confirmed with signs and wonders following? Has there been supernatural manifestations of God's power flowing through their life so that people are being healed and set free the way they were in Jesus' ministry? You know, if we were to apply that to people, then there's a lot of people who are preaching, quote-unquote, the gospel today who would simply be out of a job because they don't have that manifestation. And God uses those people to the degree that he can. God loves them. I've got friends that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and in some ways... They have greater character in their life, more integrity than some spirit-filled people that I know. Just having the baptism of the Holy Spirit and flowing in the gifts does not guarantee maturity. You can see that in 1 Corinthians because that church was very carnal, and yet they operated in all of the gifts. Having the baptism of the Holy Ghost and operating in the gifts does not mean you are better than anybody else. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual than anybody else. But it does mean that the word of God can be confirmed with power and with signs and with demonstration. And that is the scriptural uh, pattern, and that is the pattern that we should be following today. I'm not going to go into a uh, long teaching on this, but I feel like I've got to at least briefly address this thing. There are the people who believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, and other gifts are not for us today have to deal with the miracles that are recorded in the Bible somehow. And they have to say, well, why, if that happened in the Bible and if this is Scripture, why isn't it happening for us today? And basically, the uh, dominant 
reaction to that is to say, well, those things passed away with the apostles, and God doesn't do those miracles today. Well, there certainly isn't anything in Scripture that says that. Now, I know that there are Scriptures that they use to say that, but you have to already have a predisposition to believing that. You have to have a desire to not want the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or the Word wouldn't say that. The Scripture that I've heard used the most effectively to try and prove that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for us today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it starts talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it lists these gifts, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, discerning of spirit, the gifts of healings, the gift of miracles, and all of these other things. And then at the end of that 12th chapter, it says in verse 31, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. They will take that scripture and say, well, the gifts of the Spirit may have been good at one time, but now we have a more excellent way. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 begins to talk about love. And so they say operating in God's kind of love is better than the gifts. That's not what this is saying because in chapter 14 he takes up the gifts again. He didn't say that love is better than the gifts. The point he was making is that operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit in love is better than operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit without love. Operating the gifts through love is better. And you can see that in chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He didn't say that speaking in tongues is like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, but it's speaking in tongues without being motivated by God's kind of love. In verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, God's kind of love, I am nothing. This isn't saying that faith has passed away, and that we don't have faith anymore, and that we shouldn't operate in faith. No, it's saying that faith, which works by love, is superior to just trying to operate in faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, Faith works by love. In verse 3, he says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. He's not telling us that we should quit giving, that we should quit feeding the poor, but he says we ought to be motivated by love when we do this. So then he drops on down into verse 8, and it says, Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And I've heard people take these verses and say, see right there, it says prophecies shall fail and tongues shall cease. And so there is coming a time that prophecy and tongues are not needed. And I agree with that. The only question is, when is that time? Well, it goes on to say in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And so people say, well, that which is perfect is talking about the Bible. Before the Bible was written and canonized and all of these scriptures were put together, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, speaking in tongues, miracles, etc., were still in use by God to confirm the Word. But now that we have the written Word of God, we shouldn't operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and see these things. We now have the Word. And that which is perfect has come, the Word, so we don't need these gifts anymore. Well, let's take that logic and look right here. In verse 8, it says, When prophecies fail, 
tongues cease, it also says that knowledge shall vanish away. Has knowledge vanished away? Man, just the opposite. One of the signs of the time, the Lord says that knowledge would increase in the last days. And there is an exponential growth of knowledge in the earth today. It also says in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. In verse 11, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, then what? When that which is perfect is come, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then, when that which is imperfect is come, shall I know even as also I am known. So when it's talking about that which is perfect is come, it says in verse 8 that knowledge will pass away right along with prophecies and speaking in tongues. And then in verse 12, it says that you will see face to face and you will know all things even as also you are known. So if you're going to say that which is perfect is is the Bible, which I believe that the Bible is perfect. There's no argument there. But is that the perfect thing that it's spoken of? No, because if it was talking about us having the Bible, well, then knowledge would have passed away. We would see the Lord face to face, and we would know all things even as also we are known. That hasn't happened yet. That that which is perfect that he's talking about is when we lose this corruptible, mortal body, and we receive a glorified body. It's talking about the second return of the Lord when we receive the glorified body. Then you won't need to speak in tongues because you will know all things, even as also you are known. You won't need to prophesy and tell people about what God's will is because every person will know God's will. You won't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit because every person will be healed. There will be no reason for the gifts of mere healing healings and the gift of miracles and a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and discerning of spirits because you'll know all things. There is coming a time when the gifts will cease, but instead of them ceasing when the word of God was produced, no, they will cease when Jesus returns and we receive our glorified body. Then you won't need to speak in tongues. You won't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But until that time, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for us today. Now, there's much, much more that could be said about that, but to me, that is just so obvious. You could turn to other scriptures and say, well, what about this and what about that? Just answer me this. It says, when that which is, imperf- which is perfect is come, knowledge will pass away. We will see face to face. We will know everything, even as well as we are known. None of those things have happened yet. None of those things ever will happen until Jesus returns and we receive a glorified body that is no more corruptible. And so this verse just makes it clear that with the perfect thing that it's talking about, when tongues cease and prophecies fail, is when we receive that glorified body and no longer know in part. But we know all things, even as also we are known. So it doesn't matter what other scriptures you could turn to, whatever thoughts you could have, this verse makes it very clear that until that which is perfect, this glorified body comes, then tongues will not cease, prophecies will not fail, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still for us today. And that's powerful. To me, that is powerful. And I can truthfully tell you this, that in my own personal life, 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I don't operate in them near as much as I should or near as much as I'd like to, but I have seen some powerful things happen, even to the point that I've called people out by name and told them their name and told them things that were wrong with them. Just last week, I had a woman come up and she had received the message that I'd preached so well that she asked for me to pray with her about revelation knowledge. She just wanted to have that truth established in her. And as I started praying, the Lord showed me that he was also healing her. And I started mentioning things from her head, her neck, arthritis. I talked about female problems that God was healing her of. And I mean, I just went down the list and started praying for things. This woman started crying. And when I got through, she pulled a piece of paper out of her pocket that had a list of things that she was going to get prayer for. But she had been so impressed with the message, she only mentioned all she wanted was revelation. She didn't even mention these sicknesses. And as she showed the piece of paper to me, it had it listed there exactly what I had prayed for. I mean, I had called out things that she had already written down prior to that. And you know what that did? That just opened that woman up, confirmed to her so much that that was God, that she, her faith went through the roof. She was able to reach out and accept that this wasn't a man talking to her, but it was God and she received. And in my own personal life, I can testify that the success that I've had, and again, I am not trying to say that I am the ultimate example. I, I'm not everything that I should be, but I'm not everything I used to be either. Man, I've come a million miles, and I have seen some awesome things happen, and I can testify that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are a very integral part to everything that God has done in my life. When I started little churches, I went into a town. I went into Childress, Texas, and didn't know a single person in that town. I rented an auditorium, put an ad in the newspaper, and had six people show up. But you know what? I preached to those six people like they were thousands, and I not only gave them word, but I prayed, and we saw miracles happen, and people set free. And over a three-night period of time, our crowds increased to 60 or 70, and because of that, I was able to start a church there, and we saw miracle upon miracles happen. We saw that town impacted by the power of God. I went to Pritchett, Colorado, which only has 144 people in the whole town of Pritchett. And uh, I had a church there. I took over a church that was running around 10 to 15 when I moved to that town. But you know what? We saw a man raised from the dead in that town. And we started seeing miracles happen. And people started driving as much as 150 miles. And we were having as many as 100 people come to church in a town of 144 people. Now that's, you know, small numbers. But if you look at percentages, it's tremendous. If you were to go to Colorado Springs now, which has approximately 500,000 people in it. And if you had, you know, three-fourths of that town coming to a church, I guarantee you that would be a powerful move of God. And I believe it was a powerful move of God. It was in an isolated area, but the reason we saw the results we had where we went from 10 to 100 in six months period of time was because of people being raised from the dead. People came. Miracles are like a bell that God uses to draw people unto himself. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2. So that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned to the sick of the palsy and healed him. He did the physical things to get people's attention. 
Yes, He loves us, and He wants us to be healed and set free and delivered. But even greater than that, He's wanting to touch the heart of people. He's wanting to draw people unto Himself to see their sins forgiven. And the scriptural model that we have is that miracles were like a bell that got people's attention, drew them to God, and then the Lord was able to deal with other issues in their life, eternal issues. One of the reasons that we haven't seen more people drawn to the church today is because it's just words in many cases. Even if they're correct words, people think, what, do, what impact does that have on my real life? People are suffering. They've got sickness in their body, emotional, mental problems, financial problems, marriage problems. And to a very large degree, the church today is just telling them things and preaching to them about heaven and hell issues, which those things are true, but people are so bogged down in the physical hell that they find their life in that they aren't thinking about eternity. They should be, but they aren't. And so how do you get them to deal with this? You meet them where they are. You start healing their bodies. You start telling them that the Lord will set you free and the Lord will prosper you and deliver you and you flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as the power of God manifests and touch their physical, emotional, financial realms, then they will turn to the Lord and recognize this isn't just pie in the sky. This isn't just something for eternity. The Lord is for us right now. He's real. He's the only way to live today. And people will commit their lives to the Lord. That's my personal experience, is that I have reached, no telling, hundreds or thousands of times more people because I operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit than if I was only speaking words. And I tell you, the body of Christ needs this today. The body of Christ needs the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. You know, if there's anyone who's gotten hold of this tape somehow and you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I haven't really taught on how to receive it. I've just talked about that it is necessary. I have other tapes entitled The Baptism of the Holy Spirit, another one entitled Why Speaking Tongues, that will lay out the scriptural verification for all of this. It will counter questions and criticisms against it. The one on Why Speaking Tongues will actually tell you about problems that people have speaking in tongues, hindrances, and it will remove those hindrances. I give a lot of my personal testimony and tell about how I struggled with speaking in tongues. From the time that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit until I spoke in tongues was about three years. But it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. That was because I had been indoctrinated against it. And I had so much stinking thinking, so many screwed up ideas about it, that it took a long time for God to get that junk out of me. But when I started operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and flowing in it, I tell you, my life changed dramatically. There was actually more of a change in outward ways when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit than when I got born again. Now, I'm not minimizing being born again or saying it's insignificant. No, you must be born again. But I'm saying as far as the physical outward manifestation, there was a greater noticeable change when I received the Holy Spirit. My life just changed. And if any of you have gotten this tape and you've listened to it, and yet you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sometimes people are confused when you use the word baptism and they think, well, I don't know if I have. I was, ba I was uh, baptized in water. Is that what you're talking about? 
No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where the Holy Spirit comes and fills you and many things happen. But one of the obvious things and one of the simplest things to deal with is that in the Bible, when people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. I'm not going to take time. I haven't got time on this tape to deal with that. But I do have other tapes that if you'd request them, uh, we'd be glad to supply them to you. But if you are ready right now, I encourage you to just pray. Matter of fact, pray with me and just ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask God for a revelation of how these gifts function. And if you already have the Holy Spirit, then agree with what I've said here today and get to where you are earnestly coveting and seeking after the best gifts. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Father, I pray for those who have heard this message today. And Father, if they don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if they have never been filled, if they've never experienced that power coming into their life, then I ask you to open up their heart right now and release that anointing into them. Father, as they yield right now and cry out for you to fill them with the Holy Spirit and receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon them, then, Father, let that power flow through them. Change them. Open up their heart to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, revelation knowledge, all of these things, and speaking in tongues, that, Father, they would just allow you to speak through them in this heavenly language that bypasses the limitation of our understanding. If there's anyone listening who already has the baptism of the Holy Spirit and does speak in tongues, but they had never seen before how essential the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, then I pray that the Holy Ghost would take this word that has been spoken and burn it into their heart, and that, Father, they would reach a place to where they will not live any longer without the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through them. Father, for those who have experienced it to a degree, I pray that this just heightens their desire to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you. We believe that you want this for us more than we want it. And so we believe that we are just totally in agreement with your will for us. And instead of trying to plead with you or to get you to do something that you don't desire to do, we believe that you want us to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So we just yield to it. We receive it. And I believe, Father, that this teaching is going to light a fire on the inside of people and that they will begin to start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to a greater degree than they ever thought possible. That, Father, we will see you confirm your word through our lives with signs and wonders following. And, Father, I thank you for that. I praise you. I believe that you are changing people's lives right now as they hear my voice. And Father, we thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. Amen.